Alright, welcome to another episode of No Investment Advice. We got the NI boys, kind of. <laughs> this week it's just Jack and I. Jack, what's happening, mate? Good, mate. How are you? Good to, good to see you, mate. I know we just missed each other in New York. We're going to talk about your time in NFT NYC. I was on my way to California. You were there. I got to finally meet Trunk a few days before as well. Maybe I'll save that for when Trunk's back next week. Um, but yeah, so people wondering where Trunk is. Trunk is in Europe enjoying all the jamon. He's been sending that <laughs> in the group chat. Uh, he's having a good time out there. So yeah, I hope you're enjoying that, Trunk. We'll see you hopefully next week. Um, and so, yeah, it's just Jack and I this week. We've got some cool stuff to talk about. Jack's going to share what was going on in NFT NYC a little bit. Um, and this idea of generalist versus specialist is something you've tweeted about and written about or like illustrated anyway in visualized value terms. And it's a bit more of a philosophical concept. We're going to dig into that. And then we're going to talk about cable versus YouTube versus Netflix and some of the new media people that we're following uh, and have been impressed by or just kind of comment on what we're finding there. Um, so yeah, Jack, how was NFT NYC, mate? I know um, I got a few messages, saw you eating some nice Chinese food. Yeah, what was man. going on this week? It was good, man. Uh, I'm trying to think back. The first one was November last year. Uh, I just approached it a little differently this time, like just meeting up with uh, smaller groups of people. Um, There's a few people that could make it from Europe and just uh, like people that couldn't travel to the last one. People I met two, three years ago that I've never met in person. So a lot of the visualized value uh, OGs were in New York last week. So that was cool catching up with them. Shout out to uh, anybody listening who I met in person. So nice. massive pleasure to do that. And um, then just went to some smaller stuff. Didn't do any of the, uh, well, a couple couple late nights, but nothing insane. You know, none of the uh, PFP. Not Miami. It's stuff. not Miami this time. Yeah. Nah, nah. <laughs> so it was a good week though. It was a good week. A lot of, uh, a lot less hype, obviously, surrounding the space in general this time where like November was just pure euphor euphoria up only no real discussion of like uh, what's getting built or what the next chapter of all this stuff looks like. But this time, I think people are thinking a bit more critically about why they're involved, why they're staying involved, what they're building. Um, so it was a good time. And there's, uh, there's definitely like individual projects and maybe we could talk about over the course of the next few months and uh, maybe get some people on to talk about them. But I think in general, if, if it was... Uh, Weirdly, the quietness of it or the, uh, the more considered version of it was way more of a, um, like, put it this way, I sold a bunch of stuff when I got back from it last time versus this oh, time right. there's, like, there's things that are like, like, you know, skating under the radar because we're not in this crazy market at the moment. So uh, promising. Yeah, have you, have you found, because you were selling obviously a lot of NFTs last year, have you found obviously the, the whole NFT market is chilled very illiquid to, right now yeah very liquid yeah have you i'm assuming your own sales of visualized value nfts are down significantly right mm -hmm. yeah just attention on the space in general is is uh, significantly lower so we're doing some uh we're building a couple things for holders of the visualized value stuff in retrospect without promising anything to anyone actually this is the first time i've yeah. mentioned it in public but we got some things brewing to uh like you know 
hopefully make proper use of the technology in a in a uh, more interesting way than you know just a marketplace of goods so uh yeah come well, on, i'll talk about that in a few more weeks well so it sounds like yeah it's a bit more chill there's less liquidity but there's definitely an abundance of men and <laughs> that brings us on to meme in a week <laughs> real quick this was from jack jack shared this the nft nyc summarized uh how accurate is this meme jack from oh, what you experienced it's absolutely perfect it's perfect <laughs> something's going on my zoom it like knocks out the screen is it still sharing? Oh, no, no. I, I just took it off. Sorry. I, good, I, good, good. No, I'll, I'll describe it, though, for the listeners, too. So yeah. there's the two. There's, I think, there's a guy at a baseball game leaning over and talking to a woman who's just staring blankly into the distance, yeah. obviously. The classic meme, yeah. <laughs> yeah. And then the other one of, like, the dude in the nightclubs, same idea. He's, like, shouting into someone's, uh, a woman's ear who's not Also looking blankly, saying. yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> And uh, someone mashed up the two dudes to be talking to each other, which is the perfect. Uh, Incredible. No caption required. So much embedded context in those <laughs> yeah. two images. You know exactly what's going on. And that's about right. You know, it's like uh, people t discussing the use case of uh, JPEGs at length for hours. Yeah, 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 uh, yeah. <laughs> well, did you find time, that? Because did you go to any of the parties and stuff? Because I saw, uh, I shared this in our chat earlier, but Snoop Dogg and Eminem just had a tune come out and their music video has, has their bored apes in it, which is quite interesting. I mean, again, I don't know too much about it, but that's, uh, I think that must be one of the first times musicians at that scale have done that, right? Yeah, I think uh, Timberland was doing something like uh, starting a label or something. There was a few murmurings of it, but those two, Snoop and Eminem have uh, like they're the first like properly used the characters like I think they at one point they both had them as their Twitter profiles and all that stuff so they're like yeah they're, it's like animated it's not just like a, a flash of a JPEG they're like characters yeah 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 so I think um, there's like talent agencies involved in all that stuff and just yeah I don't know if how to, Eminem's in his Metamask wallet uh, sending right. that to his developer <laughs> yeah, right yeah. <laughs> Um, was there anything else? Yeah, I think from that's it. Like, it's oh, also interesting. I was just going to say my last point of that is like, you can kind of uh, benchmark the audience for the community based on like the music or the musicians that represent uh, the community itself, right? So it's like, when was this is like a resurgence of like a nostalgic sound that 35 year old dudes were listening to in their teenage years, right? The, you mean kind of like the word art in our cover art? Is that what you're saying? There you go. Exactly right. Exactly. We're just Tapping capturing the imaginations of our uh, peers. Yeah. So uh, we'll see. I think that's the that's like the big discussion that we've been having the whole time is um, the one thing I in the true nature of the two dudes talking to each other meme. Like one of the conversations I had repeatedly last week is like just how remarkable like. The, the this like abstraction like this piece of art or this like character attracts a very certain a very specific type of person in each case like so each community or each like you know collector of an artist or it, it's true of everything right it's like who wears a certain type of clothes goes to a different type of venue it's like it's very interesting how these communities and these symbols like when you see in real life the types of characters that gravitate towards the different communities. And I think it's just a, 
you know, just do you, could you try to nature. stereotype and uh, make sure we offend everyone here? But like, <laughs> any, like for example, Bored Ape, like what were the ones you went to? Because I remember we went together. We went to I forgot what event it was last year, um, but it was a musician, a DJ playing, and there were a lot of like Bored Ape hoodies and stuff like that. Um, I did, this one it was at Ape Fest or something. I saw a few friends who were there. Yeah, so I don't want to get in trouble, but yeah, were there any? little psychographic groups we could uh, share with the listeners i think you could go with the like who's listening to eminem in their 30s that's probably <laughs> yeah, that's probably a better frame that's probably it. a close yeah like that's as close as you get but there's i think there are definitely like um i didn't go to any of the like uh pfp things with the exception of um crypto punks so it was a big uh brunch i missed actually for the punks and they they uh you go now owns them hired the the nft um the guys have been running nfts at christie's so he's now going to represent punks and he's like talking about his mandate it's like we're not gonna do any corny lunch boxes or like shitty merch or anything like that it's like let's steward this collection as like a piece of fine art so uh different types of people different like um, motivations for getting in space and different like levels of interest in the underlying technology as well. I would say like it's interesting to see how um, maybe some of the earlier projects or more complicated projects have um, a higher density of crypto um, people who are interested in the uh, like the philosophical components of crypto versus number go up, you know, like corporate, whatever, you know, whatever they want to do, as long as the number goes up, I don't care. So it's interesting to just see that breakdown of, of people. Um, did, did you notice as well, you just mentioned the corporate part that, you know, you've talked about it in the past and we've both experienced this with advertising world. Like there was a, a brief nine to 12 months ago given to a thousand agencies about how do we incorporate nfts in our brand strategy or something like that right like you know just a very broad thing and now you're seeing yeah. even with the bear market like you're seeing some of those things come to light did you experience any of that there too where you're like all right this feels a little i don't know maybe it didn't feel off maybe there were some people that did it well yeah, I'd, like I, I skirted her. I'd never went anywhere near the actual conference either. So oh, I, last year I bought yeah. a ticket. I went to pick up the pass and I never went back in there. So this year I didn't even bother getting the ticket. But um, I think the like the Times Square thing is like a pretty indicative of it. It's like, you know, all of the buyouts of, of space in Times Square. And I think it's like, a, it's just like a mimetic thing. It's like, oh, that for some reason like confers some level of pop status on this thing, but this is way over romanticized by people that don't understand how advertising works, right? Where it's like anybody with 10,000 bucks can put whatever they want on an LED screen in Times Square. It's not actually indicative of like, there's, there's not like, scale a, or like, Oh, this is everyone seeing this in the world. This like is relevant in the past. Yeah. Right. So I think that some of that, there's like misses there where it's just like exposure is not equal to, like resonance or interest or um man, I just, there's just been so much that we've talked about in the last few months where anything even remotely associated with nfts crypto like that carries that connotation there's so many like re reputational um 
dumpster fires happened over the last few months that like convincing people that weren't interested a year ago, we're kind of going through a phase where that's going to be uh, a lot slower than, uh, than maybe it would have been um, for the last conference. So yeah, yeah, we'll see. I like basically the, the conclusion of almost every conversation I had was like, we'll start to make progress again when like the term NFT disappears. Like oh, when we're no longer referring to the acronym to describe the thing, like mm. you're actually just, you know, it's the, the name of the brand or the, or the thing or the experience that you're going to that is somehow supported by, enabled by, enhanced by um, a, an NFT somewhere in the technology stack versus, you know, the, like, just because it's such a nascent technology, you can just get excited by the fact it exists versus the things that it makes happen. I'm sure there were, yeah. like, imagine going to like an internet meetup now. So what the f- what is that? What's even going <laughs> to, you don't even know how to package that or who would be there, interested. <laughs> yeah. No, just saying like the, like, oh, yeah, the, the word, buzzword we don't carries use the enough. Yeah. It's almost like, even though people do use the word social media in a way, but now social media is just the internet too, right? Like you, do, you just, you might say, oh, someone posted that on Twitter or on Instagram, but remember in like, 2010 people would be like oh there's this social media and there was like all these other phrases that right, they used. right. um it was it there was feed going but, crazy yeah. over it yeah how exactly. to use social media all that yeah yeah, yeah mashable yeah. i remember learning how to use uh, twitter because of mashable and stuff like that but anyway so um just to summarize how was would you say you was a good experience there uh, did it make you bullish or bearish on the space or indifferent no i think it's uh I think it's just like a healthy um, recalibration. Like the people that showed up there for the most part, either are still attached to a project that's doing okay by chance or are legitimately interested in building stuff. So I think um, my experience was, was way better this time than the oh, last okay. time. That's interesting. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. For a number of reasons, but I, yeah, I think it's, it follows the pattern of all the, conversations we've had over the last couple of weeks it's like everybody's going back to looking at why they got involved in this and does in that is that place. reason still is that reason still valid and if it is then they went to new york and uh, met other people that felt the same way so it's good nice mate all right well let's move on to the main part of the pod today which is going to be all about generalists versus specialists we almost touched on this um i think last episode when we did a q a um, but we we all said this this could be a whole episode because it, the idea of it is something to be debated and uh, explored a bit more. So, Jack, I know you had a visual of this. Do you want to share your screen and uh, we can talk it through a little bit? Yeah, let me. Uh, this right. That's the one. Yeah. Yeah. So uh, this original tweet was a visualized value illustration with two. 3D shapes. The first is like a rectangular block, almost like a house brick standing on the smaller end. And then next to it is a, uh, what would you call that? Pyramid? Yeah, like a... A really extended Illuminati pyramid. No, <laughs> it's no, like it's, a yeah, needle in yeah, comparison like to the block. it's like an extended pyramid that goes, it's like a narrow pyramid, like a 3D triangle, but there's probably it's actual... It's like a Burj Khalifa or something like that. Exactly, exactly. <laughs> yeah, yeah so, so, so 
But basically, you know, as all of these illustrations are trying to point at a like broad strokes concept, like was the message to take away from here, like the amount you focus or the, um, the level of specificity with which you do your work is likely going to allow you to ascend uh, further up than if you, you know, spread your talents across all these different things and try and learn all these different skills. And um, I don't know, I think obviously the way you interpret that is consistent with how you view yourself. So if you think you're a specialist, you think it's a great image just based on the fact that this is trying to imply that the specialist is higher up or going somewhere further than the generalist. And if you're a generalist, you, uh, you maybe it insults you somehow. I don't know, but the, uh, the way to th also think about it is the volume is the same here, right? Like the, the, the volume of experience is the same. It's just been directed differently. Or it's just been poured into a different type of container. Um, so obviously I, it, this is Twitter. So, you know, somebody's going to take it the wrong way or, uh, um, try and, uh, try and tell you what you meant when you, uh, posted the thing. That's almost a guarantee. Um, and if Trung was here, he can tell what he better stories on this. Cause he's intentionally yeah, yeah. trying to wind people up. <laughs> You're, I'm that's not part trying of his to do that. Strategy, yeah. <laughs> yeah. 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 So, uh, it happens on accident sometimes, but it's not my intention. Well, the thing is, cause your whole visual and style is to simplify, right? Like that's the beauty of it. It's you see it, you get it straight away. It's two words. And that's kind of why, like the frame that you had in mind with your experience, if we know your story and what you're working on, it makes complete sense. But I think other people see it as like, he said those people are better than me and therefore mm. like we're going to start arguing. And I'm, this brings us back. I remember our first ever, we did a Creator Lab episode. We did two. The first one, we basically broke down that original Naval, um, how to get rich without getting lucky thread. And it's kind of in that frame there was like he said some of the arm yourself with specific knowledge accountability and leverage and like so there's a whole series of tweets on specific knowledge so we don't have to go through every single one um but i'm curious to hear so what were the kind of criticisms on the other side and like i know you think about things with nuance but your point here was to say if you are if you have that specific knowledge you can go further is, or, or what what did you mean yeah so the response was like the most common response. And I like poked a bit of fun at it. I was like, people who are complaining about this are trying to defend the fact that the, you know, the generalist is the right approach. But ironically, those are the people that are on Twitter with nothing specific to do, but call out that I've got this graphic wrong. Mm, right. Okay. Yeah, so yeah. I, was, I was taking the piss a little bit with that response, like drumming up the same you know, just responding in the same way that they're taking it, uh, you know, intentionally misinterpreting the message. I think again, like all of this stuff, I think is so dependent on like, even the experience you have, how you understand a word, like the context with which, uh, like generalist might mean something completely different to one person than another, like obviously depends entirely on your situation. I think my, as you said, all of this stuff comes from the like, uh, maybe the, the solo entrepreneur might not be the, might not be the perfect description of it, but it's, yeah. um, you know, there are, 
depending on the result you're going for or the the uh, the lifestyle the you're trying to design, yeah. right? There's there's a very like one type of person fits really well in an organization, and another type of person fits better outside of an organization. So I think that um, that nuance is pretty underexplored. And but the the main takeaway is you're going to be more robust if you have you know a if you are known for something specific if you have a skill set where you are top 5% 10% the more um you know the more um the more opportunity awaits right it's just a simple economics equation where like if your ability is scarcer than the crowd then there's more likely that you're going to attract more opportunity so that's the lesson i'm trying to uh point towards yeah, that. that's but a big part of your whole the philosophy of like everything you've done follows that path for sure and i think it's like it's, it's it is really nuanced where it's like i'm i would say i'm a generalist in many ways right like there's you specialization is almost a packaging thing as as it is a skill thing too it's like if you're um i know it's like uh like a Rogan or someone like that, like any media personality where it's like, you have a very specific idea of like what he's about. He's very specialized, but he's also like obviously an incredibly accomplished and like varied interest person. It's more of just uh, like the level of, maybe even the level of focus you apply to most of the things you do is more of a, an accurate um, description of what a, a specialist is or like you have one strength or one like the combination of your interests becomes this one strength it's 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 a very nuanced thing so i like the the single graphic that just points to one way to interpret it is obviously very easy to take out of context yeah yeah well so i i i definitely agree with you i'm trying to play the other side here as well just to make it more of a discussion but the way i've always thought of it is especially when you're kind of coming up and you're building something for the first time or you're essentially you know you're learning skills for the first time that you need long term if you're going to be an entrepreneur you need to know a lot about a lot of different things if that's your frame though right like not everyone wants to do that other people want to be an employee they want to be a designer in a company forever and they love doing that uh, versus trying to like do what you've done um or they're an investor and that like an investor in our world by definition needs to know about many different things but they are also a specialist in a few things so that's kind of how i've always treated it like i think both of you and i are kind of journalists in in that we will know um a decent amount about different things but then we're obviously specialists in like two or three things because we've gone really deep into it and so that's how i've always thought about it for myself too which is i need to know enough about finance about how do i recruit people how do i do you know all the different parts of business specifically um marketing etc but then i've gone really really deep in like two or three things and that then gives you the leverage to go and start something yourself and you know charge people money for something yourself versus just only doing it in a company and then when you do things yourself there is that generalist part where you need to be able to connect the dots and say oh i need to figure out like i'm not an expert in like payments but i will know enough to like allow it to 
process my own payments. You know what I mean? That's probably a terrible example, but you know, or I'm not a web designer, but I know enough to like if I'm paying someone to do it, I need to know they're not ripping me off and I need to be able to frame the ask in a certain way. Um so yeah, that's how I think a lot of the people that might be on the other side are like, hey, being a specialist, you could be a specialist at turning a screw and turning a screw isn't valuable. So I, I know knowing you, it is also about like what that specialist knowledge is as well. Um but yeah, that's kind of how I've always thought about it versus just either or one side or the other. Yeah, I mean, I'm thinking as you're talking of just about like the words, what they say. It's like general and special. It's just like mm, if yeah, like you're, you're you could you either blend in or you don't. That's really what all it is about. Like people yeah. are trying to pick it apart down to like the combination of skills they have and you know how like they feel versus like the market says this person is amazing at that. They're a specialist, even if they you know a black belt in jujitsu and they can like build microwaves in their spare time and do it. Like, it doesn't matter if they're like, if they have 12 skills at their top 1% at, they're still a specialist in the same yeah. way that if you have a thousand skills at your bottom 10% at you're a generalist, but the combination of those skills should force you into this level of specialization. It's kind of like you... a specialist generalist. Is that what you're saying? Yeah. Yeah. I, <laughs> well, I no, think I mean, not the other gone. The other thing that people argue is like, what about a polymath? You know, what about if I'm a polymath? And and like, I guess starting these discussions is like, I don't know whether it's people are intentionally missing the point or the like, the idea of all of the stuff that inspired this journey for me was like taking the very unique and different and interesting experiences that you've had and combining them into something um, that hopefully provides a perspective that is unique in some way or like uh, a service or an insight that is unique in some way. And I think far too many people get stuck while like staying too wide. And I think that's more often a like a mental barrier of, I need to keep my options open. You know, I need to be, I need to just, straddle all of these different skill sets. So if one of these opportunities comes my way, then I can handle it versus like, I get a little bit of feedback that that's good. And I'm going to chase it down so aggressively that that like I become the magnet. I've talked about this at like at length where you go from an environment where you just like accepting stuff that's thrown at you or just trying to get in the way of stuff versus like, flipping the magnetic field where it's like you become the person that they seek out for that service or that product or that thing. Um, it's obviously a very nuanced idea and discussion, but it's basically trying to encourage commitment to something that you're good at, or you can get good at, or um, you have some feedback from the world that they can't do it and you can and I think there's way less, um, there, there are a lot of different ways to do that. And a lot of it, and I've been guilty of maybe talking about this the wrong way in the past. A lot of it doesn't have to do with just being like, just doing what you want to do all the time. Like we talked about this a couple episodes ago, where it's like some yeah. of these things aren't meant to be monetized. Yeah. Some of the reasons you can, 
Right. Some of the reasons these things are valuable is because nobody else wants to do that shit. Like nobody wants to go in <laughs> and comb through like yeah. the header tags in your website to make sure that Google's reading them properly. Have you been, what, have you been uh, looking at a screen share this morning, yeah. mate? I was. <laughs> there you go. There you go. Yeah. Exactly. Like those those things that you pick up in these environments where you just just like just because you're curious or just because you wanna like you wanna be able to do something that people need, which I think you know. We get really philosophical as like where I think you happiness comes from is just this ability to like show up and do something that is useful and get better at it and pursue it and, you know, let your curiosity, um, let you make you get better and better and better at that thing or generating that result. And, um, yeah, oftentimes you can get distracted from the fact that a lot of that comes from, other people's unwillingness to do that thing, not necessarily how much you enjoy it. I think one of the best examples is like people like playing basketball, right? It's like, I love playing basketball. I really love it. Yeah. The chances that you're going to be top 0.1% basketball player, very, very slim, right? Just yeah. insanely, insanely difficult to get to those levels. But, you know, combing through the header tags of a website <laughs> yeah. a thousand times, Chances are, if you do that even a hundred times, you're going to be very, very close to the top of the pile because it's just so brutally tedious and yeah. um, it's very valuable. So I want to go into that a little bit more. How do you think about doing those things you're good at, but things you might not necessarily enjoy? And I don't want to turn this into a, you know, uh, personal development like visual here, but you've heard Let's of probably Let's turn Ikigai. it into a collab. Yeah, so yeah. You, if you've heard of, probably heard of Ikigai, which is like the the thing of like things you're good at, uh, things the market Good for the world. For, yeah, good yeah, for yeah, the world, yeah. whatever, right? So I know it sounds kind of cheesy, but it's actually a very helpful frame when you think about those skills you just said, right? So uh, you, you mentioned basketball. That's obviously something you enjoy, but you're not good enough to be paid for it. And uh, similar with the, the header tag, uh, that might be something the world pays for, but I might hate doing it. So mm -hmm. I'm curious that like, when you've thought about it, because you, you've seemed to have done a pretty good job of like finding things that you enjoy and are good at. And like, I don't know if outsourcing the rest is the right word, but like avoiding or being able to like find another solution for it. Or maybe that's where like you've partnered with Celia your wife, mm. like she takes on some of the stuff for the business. So I'm, I'm curious how you think about that because I actually got a question a few days ago from a, a, someone who used to work with me. She was thinking about taking on a new job and she was asking this specific question. Do you think I should specialize and go into product or should I be more of a generalist? And so I, I, with that frame in mind, someone who's trying to figure it out, like what would you say to that? Yeah, I think the, um, the weird disconnect that is is very helpful for figuring it out is like trying to trying to figure out the feeling that is bringing you satisfaction versus like the thing you have to do to get the feeling, which is like a weird way to reverse it. Where like, for me, I think I'm very interested in like simplifying things or like problem, like puzzles, you know, like I want to, I want to find the answer to the thing. And I got sort of addicted to, the um the process of like explaining something to someone in a, a way that helped them understand it like in an agency environment where like you can go to a client and explain their business to them better than they understand it 
that's like a, it's an addictive feeling to get that. And then there's a million ways to do that. You could do that by writing, you could do it by designing, you could build prototypes, you can like direct a bunch of people to, to that outcome. And I, like, it might sound really vague, but I think that is like a, I think that's a key difference in the people that just keep going and going and going is like they've identified that if they, if they solve the problem, then they get that, uh, they get that feed, they complete the feedback loop. Right. And I think it's very easy to get stuck on the, the side of it before the, I mean, to be honest, a lot of this is problem solving. It's not, you know, I'm, I'm not going to say like Gucci handbags are the like solution to a burning problem, but for some people they are right. I was thinking yeah. about this the other day. <laughs> yeah. It's like some, it's some like a lot of like, you know, business, whatever bullshit coach stuff is like find a burning problem and solve it. Right. Yeah. yeah. And I think that is true. Like yeah. if you're really, if you're getting started out, it's like you have to get as close to the money as possible. It's like, if I fix this problem, you're going to make an extra hundred bucks tomorrow. Like if, yeah. when you're starting out, like at least B2B, let's say, right. That's, that's like a very compelling way to pitch your services. It's like, if I can rewrite the headlines of every email you send and increase the click through rate by 10%, that I want worth this to you. Yeah. I just, or just pay me what this. I make you pay me yeah, what I yeah, make yeah. you like, yeah. that's an even closer thing, right? It's like, if yeah. I increase your sales over X, I want all the upside or half the, whatever you negotiate. So I think like that, the idea of reverse engineering it from that, like what is, what is it that you do that gives someone else an advantage that you can then marry up with your skill set? And the further away you are from the transaction, the harder it is to sell. Like we've talked about this. Let's give a very concrete example. People doing clips for this show. Yeah. We make no money doing this, zero, right? Yeah. Well, it so costs if someone us, comes along, actually, yeah, it costs yeah, yeah, us money, yeah. <laughs> exactly, right? Yeah. So, so the idea More that money. we're like, hey, um, like an agency comes and pitches us, hey, we'll do clips for NIA for uh, ten grand a month. We'll do all the clips. It's like, yeah, I think we've had very that hard investment, a couple of times. <laughs> right? And I think if you're yeah. like, if you're a venture back startup and all that stuff, or if you're like, you know, if we were if we had a hundred million followers and all cross platforms between us, then yeah, you'd be like, obviously this thing's going to be a monster. Let's do it. Um, and it's a, like a brand effort, right? It's like over time that will pay off. And I think yeah, you like, can justify that, that investment based on the, the outcome there. Yeah. Yeah. I think so much of it, like even when people are like, Oh, should I work in product or should I, what was the other example you gave i, I don't want to give too much away because uh they're still in the process but and uh she might listen to this i don't want to other people she works with might listen to it so but all right, all in right. this example <laughs> if someone wanted to go in product or say like operations and become like a someone general manager style yeah someone like you know which which is actually a perfect example because the person i was referencing was my old boss was a coo of mm. uh charity war and that person who you know uh, the person i work with uh the coo she started as like basically chief of staff or not even chief of staff it was like less prestigious than that right it was basically doing anything that um could be done and then through the process over the years she was there like 10 plus years and took on so much more and she became the generalist 
but her speciality was being able to be the person who connected everything and managed mm. everyone and got things done. And that was her speciality. Like Scott, the founder was like, go and make this happen. And she would run with it. And that was her speciality. But it required the generalist knowledge to be able to manage the marketing team and the product team and, you know, every single part of the biz. So, um, but yeah, so that, let's just say ops or like a broader thing versus a product, which is a lot mm -hmm. more specific. Yeah, I think like running the job board stuff that I've just been doing for a couple of months too, has been so fascinating to see how like a lot of the stuff comes from like taking a chance in the beginning, right? It's like you, you don't really know what you want to do, but you're like, you choose an industry or a job title that you think is good. And then like, it's a bit of a chicken and egg scenario. Like you learn certain things from being in that environment or you choose a degree that gives you exposure to X and then like the job is where you learn the things that makes you like turns you into the person. So it's like, yeah. you can either take that view where it's like, okay, I'm going to like have a natural interest in X and I'm just going to get myself in that environment and then see what I'm good at. Or like you have to figure out before the fact, like the, like how you think or like how your like unique, um, view of the world or how you operate fits in all these, in all these different yeah. roles. Cause they're again, like I think job descriptions, like for the most part are horrible. Like they don't yeah, really they're describe not very helpful. Yeah. Oh. Yeah. People's CVs are horrible. Like it's just uh, it's like a weird, like square peg round hole. And then there's just some people who just like get in and do figure shit out, try stuff, get it done. Um, there's obviously outside of, we're talking about marketers and engineers and tech companies. Like I'm not talking about doctors and lawyers. Yeah, and, that's you know, obviously different. Yeah. There's, there are certain roles that I am not qualified to comment on where it's like, yeah, you need to have memorized this book and you need to know what part fits next to that part, right? Like that's not what we're talking about. We're talking to the people that are listening to this podcast that are probably creative or, you know, want to work in technology companies or do something business for completely off the beaten track yeah right and i think that comes with the territory and the expectation that it's almost like the entrepreneurial skill set required to exist outside of a system that has preset um rules or guidelines or hundreds of years of precedent and like you're like in an agency you're like a in-house entrepreneur right it's like there's not really a, you're not coming in and like making cars. Like yeah, yeah, you don't yeah. have a, there's not a production line of shit to do. It's like, no, yeah. you just have to use your initiative, figure out how to like, uh, figure out who makes decisions, figure out how to make stuff that can influence the decisions they make. Uh, it's, I think it's just a lot less like rigid than many people think it is. And they like wait for an answer or like a set of systems to present themselves. It's but like that. That's interesting, Jack, though, because the way you're describing it there, that sounds more like a generalist the way you described it there, no? Yeah, I think I think um, these two ideas are like through like building up that general knowledge and beginning to focus at a certain point. It's like a process yeah. of experience getting up there. I do I do agree that there's like I wasn't trying to yeah say position them as one is better than the other, but yeah. I honestly don't think past a certain point, you just special 
decentralized by default, just because of like the number of different scenarios and people and things that like your life gets more complex and you're like, you know, it's Sorry, almost like- Sorry, uh, Jack, you cut off for a second. Did you say uh, you, you do special after a certain time you do yeah, or after you don't? I think after a certain time you do, if that's like, yeah. if that's in your nature to like be curious and latch on to new things that you learn, yeah, you yeah. just by default, you get known for certain things. People come to you for X or you have like a bias in the way you act because this thing worked before for you. Like got for it, me, it. it was like, oh, the keynote presentation is so much more powerful than all the work that we do after the keynote presentation. So I'm just going to do that. <laughs> yeah. But you wouldn't yeah. take your first job in an agency and be like, just let me do that. Because it was like, from the outside, it looks like a shitty job. That makes, so that makes sense. I got it. All right. So just to summarize what I heard, because that's kind of how I think about it, is that when you first but, start, you again, not talking about doctors or lawyers, right? Like that is straight up specific knowledge from day one you're having to learn um it, well actually even there they yeah, kind there's of start some kind of degree broad, of it right and then you, they go kind of broad and then they go deep but i think especially when you're younger and you're first starting out you don't have that work experience yet and you kind of need to have you need to kind of like see what's out there but a lot of the time you end up specializing anyway because when you're lower you know down um you know, in the beginning, you're kind of like said, they're like, hey, you create the deck for us, right? Like you're, you're, but, but that deck role that you just described could also be one of the highest leverage things that the senior person 10 years later right. is still doing, but it depends on the company, you know what I mean? And, um, and also when you think about how, like you normally need to then start like focusing in on something anyway, because like you said, most companies, they're not just, Two, three people there's more than 10 20 hundred thousands of people and by the nature of that you end up specializing in some way anyway but my my thought is that eventually as you then get build up those skills and you have that specialist knowledge that you're actually really good at something people are coming to you for help for those specific things i do think especially when you go and do stuff yourself there's just that element of i need to now go and like relearn a bunch of stuff about a bunch mm -hmm. of different things and you're never going to be a specialist in all of those things and I think when people read it, they, they kind of take pride in that, right? Like they're like, well, I know a lot about a lot of different things and that's a good yeah, yeah. thing. But Which I also true. think if you don't know a lot about at least one thing, it's very difficult for you to add value. So even like on Creator Lab, all the people I've interviewed that are successful entrepreneurs, let's say, all of those people have broad knowledge about lots of different things, but they normally were so good at like one or two things. Mm. And honestly, a lot of entrepreneurial people are either really good at product in tech anyway, or they're really good at sales and promoting stuff, essentially. Whether that's sales or marketing, you put it into one bucket. Yeah, yeah. And uh, because the sales is essentially, that's, that's convincing people to join your companies, convincing investors to invest in you. It's just like, selling skills so i think that's kind of how i've always thought about it is like they're really good at those one or two things but but they needed to know like i said before enough about finance to find a cfo enough about whatever to to, to bring them on board mm. yeah it's like uh it's a big paradox too it's like the more you the deeper you go down any one path like the more you realize Oh shit! There's, this is a lot deeper than I thought it was. Yeah, right? like there's yeah, so yeah. Much, there's so much more to learn. The more you realize, you are just scratching the surface of it. Yeah, um, once you start learning a bit, you realize how much you don't actually know about a topic, right? Yeah, and and kind of the like 
the ability to commit to one thing, even though you have a lot of options is a very difficult thing to do as well. Like, and, and I, when I say one thing, I mean more like, um, you know, the, the way some would, the way somebody would describe what you're good at, let's say like the, the longer it takes you to figure that out, the harder it is for other people to, you know, describe what that is. And I think especially like inside an organization, that's like, something that keeps you stuck at a certain spot. Whereas like if you're the, the one that does the pitch decks or the person that can explain like how paid ads work, you're the person that's getting the call every time that discussion needs to be had versus, yeah. oh, that person knows a little bit about everything. And it's very like, you are very useful, but you're also like not able to kind of beat the, beat the system in the same way because yeah. you're not using your like you know not deploying 85 percent of your talent every day it's, it's like more you know, this is completely made up but it's 20 percent, right it's like yeah just diluting the things that you're um you're great at and i think that's why the internet is such a has had such a bizarre effect on the nature of work because we're like biologically wired to think about like you know, keep your options open and like, don't put all your eggs in one basket and, you know, make sure you like entertain a few. I spread the risk. You mean spread the risk sort of thing? Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Versus like, like go back to the example. All I do is write like inbound lead generation systems for gyms with a hundred members. Right. <laughs> and people have made themselves very, very, very wealthy yeah. doing stuff like that. It's just the, the regular, person one you can't see that because you're like the scale of the internet is kind of incomprehensible and this is a tangent but when i was in new york i had that realization that that's where a lot of that came from for me originally it was like new york really reframes how you think about opportunity because just so many people around you it's like, mm, yeah. what are all these people doing? doing. Like, you, yeah, yeah. yeah. They're all like some 5 million <laughs> people going on a train. Yeah, yeah, what are you doing? Like, and even like, I had this friend once who's like, all I need to do is convince everybody in London to give me 50p and I'll be a millionaire. <laughs> <laughs> That's so funny. <laughs> but it's a good mental model for like the, uh, you know, how many Londons are there in the world? There's like, yeah. there's so many people, there's so much opportunity out there. And it's like, the longer you stay, like uh, non-specific, the harder it is to like direct that energy and attention in one place. And it's not to say you can't do one thing for a period of time, learn a bunch, and then focus on something else. Like I think this doesn't have to be a life sentence. If anything, it's like a great way to think about like seasons or chapters or yes. like I'm going to master this and then I can like that's going to get me to a point where I can jump to here. And, I like uh, that word there, actually, that, just the way you described it. It feels like a lot more like master, master it, you know, because I, again, even just speaking from my own experience, I feel like I have, like you said, seasons where you're like really interested in something and it might be a few years and then you're like, actually, I'm going to switch it up a little bit. And not everyone wants to do that, but that allows you to be a specialist potentially several times, you know, in a way. Yeah, 100%. And you I think it's also like what you learned from one and kind of move on to the next. Yeah, it's like digging for like where the bullshit line is too. Like, yeah. you know, and like a lot of these organizations, it's like a lot of, I think a lot of people don't get good at something because they assume that the people 
above them know what they're doing or they assume that like <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> they assume that there's some like master plan or like some grand vision that's bit it's like no nah, everyone's just like bumbling through this everyone's shit. making it up as they go yeah, along, yeah. pretty much especially in you know in the worlds we're talking about i mean even like not to degrade any profession but like every everything that someone wakes up to do in the world every day is like in pursuit could be improved, right? There's a better way to do everything. There's knowledge out there that doesn't exist yet or like solutions to problems that haven't been found yet. Medicine is a perfect example. So like if we stopped thinking about how to do medicine better, we'd all still be dying at 30 or, you know, of gangrene or something. Yeah. So it's like everybody has, everybody has, regardless of your focus and ability to like contribute to the craft at a greater level, I think just being open to that, to that idea is what gets people further along. And, and a lot of it comes from just like, I mean, you, there's people who have said this way more articulately, but it's first principles idea, right? It's like, why people that ask why, and like go back to like why something is happening or like why we're doing it this way. Not actually why we're doing it this way. That's the wrong way to think about it. Right. It's like reasoning by analogy. This is how this environment works when I got here versus like, what are we all doing here in the first place? And that's what led me to start a business is like, I asked why enough times and I never got an answer. So I was like, all right, I'll just try and do something myself. Ask the same why, why, why? And then you realize, oh, I don't know. Start again. Why, why, why? I don't know. And uh, I guess that's why um, the startup environment in general is so compelling to so many people because you feel like you're starting with the problem. You're not just applying for a position in a organization that in many cases is like, has lost sight of the problem. Yeah. That's a great point. I was going to bring that up as well. It's really, there's a massive difference between let's just say being a specialist again, this, I'm just trying to think why some people would have felt like hurt by your, your tweet originally. Mm -hmm. Like someone, I, I can think of someone thinking of a specialist in like, you know, Google or Facebook, like these big, massive companies that nowadays are seem super bloated and they probably are really bloated. And you're like, well, there's that one guy who's responsible for the red, the color of the red button on Gmail, yeah, right? Yeah, like, yeah, and you're yeah. like, okay, that seems crazy. Though obviously it impacts a billion people so that maybe that is a real job. Um, but for someone like us, especially people who are interested in like small business, you, you're like, why would anyone want to do that when they could be doing more interesting, fun stuff, a bunch of different things? So I think like a specialist, let's say in a startup is a product person, a salesperson, marketing person, but you get exposed to so many more things. So it doesn't mean like one or the other isn't a specialist. They're both specialists, but the exposure you get in one is very different um, versus the other. So that, that I think is another big thing where people often think of specialists as like this this like factory like thing mm. whereas your you know your frame was specialist with the scale of the internet show you're the best in the world in the one percent of designers of marketers of storytellers whatever it might be and when i read that knowing you i completely get it and i'm like okay that is a great message whereas i think someone else might have seen it as like oh well you're a specialist and that's not necessarily mm. um what everyone else wants to do yeah and i think like Yes. This is like so much of this is like the context carried by the shapes themselves. It's like something being taller than something else is like, yeah. that must mean it's better, which isn't 
not necessarily what's trying to be implied there. It's also like yeah. the surface area at the top of that is way uh, smaller, right? Mm, it's it's yeah. like, it's way less, you know, arguably it's like less stable and predictable. It's like this very pointed thing, um, which like it almost requires you to commit further. It's like there's, there's definitely upside to both scenarios. Like if you're, yeah. if, if you prefer to be in a situation where you can kind of be an all rounder and not, um, there's, there's, there's something that I always used to say in interviews, but I, I don't even know if I believe anymore it was like, I love working in agencies cause you have a different problem every day, right? You have like yeah. different business <laughs> yeah. to learn. You can I look still at like 22 year old Jack rocking up. In yeah, yeah. Suit there. <laughs> exactly. Like, yeah, you know, one day you're working on like a chocolate thing and then the next day you're working on cars and the next day you're working on healthcare. And it's, it is interesting and it does like build out all of this different experience, but then you get to a certain point where you're like, um, I can combine all of this stuff I know into like a vehicle that better deploys my talents and my interests. And that takes like, I mean, I'm just speaking from my own experience. It's like, it takes a long time to basically realize the grass isn't greener chasing like a, another version of the old thing. It's like, Oh, just get another job and that'll be better. I'll get another, I'll do that. I'll do that. And really what I was after is like, um, just a level of specificity that let me like get better in a very specific direction day after day. And I think like that's maybe a good way to describe a specialist too, is like if you're a, if you have a role to play in a sports team, let's say it's like you throw a ball in that direction at that speed and it goes there, like you get called on the field when it is time to do that thing that's a very in-demand skill. Yeah. And there's obviously a way to translate that to um, business and making money. And it's just, uh, you have to give up a lot of like, not necessarily safety net, but I just think it's a little bit unnatural to be like, okay, I'm just going to like, you got to be a little psychopathic to do that, to do that sometimes just like yeah. over and over and over and over and over again. Well, Jack, one thing you also said was, um, this was way earlier, but I want to come back to it. You said something along the lines of happiness is basically you describe that progress or something like that. Right? Mm. Like, could you go into that a little bit more? Why you think that? Because again, this isn't obviously in the context of work. We're not talking about like having kids and family, like obviously yeah, yeah, yeah. other things that give us happiness. But because I think even personally, like I've at different times struggled with figuring out why I was doing something. And, you know, you kind of, especially in jobs, you just land in a job sometimes or you've done a certain amount of work and then you're like, you know, like, for, I'll just give a specific example. When I moved from Google London to Google New York, I took a job which I knew I could do, but it wasn't that mm. exciting to me. The yeah. opportunity of moving here and working with new people and like learning a new market was exciting, but the job itself was the same. And I feel like later I've corrected some of those things but it also comes down to the stage you're at and where what you're optimizing for. In that, it was like, let me get to a place where I think there's going to be more opportunities. Later, it was, I'm bored of all this business stuff. I want to have more personal impact. And then after that, it was, um, 
I want to like have freedom of time and like control my calendar and like optimize for the things I want to spend my time doing. So I think obviously, but that was 10, 12 years, 15 years later when I've already learned skills. So I'm curious like if you think that is consistent, has that always been the case? Bringing it back to like what made you most mm. happy in the work side anyway? Yeah, I think it's a good, like the way you framed it is a good way to frame the answer is like, am I making the best use of my time? It's basically what you're asking yourself at any one point. And then when, you, when the answer becomes no to that question, then you just uh, have to move on, change the environment, change the challenge you're working on. Uh, just knowing that you're not applying yourself in the best way is, uh, I think, a recipe for inverse happiness, whatever synonym you want to use for that. But um, waking up and knowing that you're not going to spend your day doing something that's going to um, contribute to building something that you want to be part of or like producing some outcome for you in the future, then uh, yeah, you just stop, uh, stop working on it. Yeah, that makes sense, Jack. So is there any parting words on the generalist versus specialist idea that you think uh, if someone's thinking about it for the first time in their own career that you'd want to share with them? I think it's, uh, you know, it's meant to be a helpful guiding principle to get you to a place where you feel like you're applying yourself in the best way. And at the beginning of your career, that is just gathering experience just figuring out what you like, what, what types of people you like working with or not, uh, what types of problems you like solving. And then uh, over time, that just compounds into a focus that can lead you to like spending your time in uh, more uh, specific and rewarding ways. Yeah, and so uh, this actually brings up something you just launched this week, the compound, is it compound content? Is that yeah. So could you tell us about this? Because I saw the email and it actually kind of ties in what you're talking about, specialist knowledge versus generalist. So like, what is this thing that you just announced? Yeah, and, uh, so, the, tie in? so this is a, the short version is visualized value is runs off social, right? Primarily it's like me talking about it on my social channels, visualized value on Twitter and Instagram, making this stuff every day. And I've got a friend who's actually the best man at my wedding, still lives in the UK, who uh, has just been nagging me for years. He's like, he's bought and sold a few sites, like bought a site that, um, you know, is like has way more potential to capture surf tra search traffic than it is. He's like and, an SEO dude, right? Yeah, he's not, yeah, he's worked oh, at like SEO platforms. He just knows how SEO works, right? Works knows how really search well, yeah. works. And he's like, why are you not doing anything? Like I, I just run the site through these different tools and I know there's like a bunch of stuff that you could be doing that would instantly give you results. But obviously like over time, there are very significant ways to adjust your strategy to take advantage of this. And I've always been interested in it. And I was like, oh, maybe I'll just, you know, maybe I'll just get around to it one day. Obviously that day never came. And yeah. this is like an example of something that's just not, um, one, not interesting to me as a skill set to learn, like the principles of it, how it works is very interesting to me. But like, if it's- You're not trying if, to go on HRFs and to run all these right. reports yourself. Like, yeah, yeah. If it came down to that, it's just never going to get done. So it's like finding somebody who 
can, um, one who I want to work with is very, very small list of people. And then two, like being invested in the thing to the point where you learn it. So if it's being applied to something and you could see like results in real time, then I think there's some very, uh, like you learn way faster. It's like if you have, if you have, uh, some skin in the game, it will, uh, drastically change the speed at which you learn. And while we're going through this process, it's like, why don't I essentially turn the process of optimizing visualized value, search traffic into a product that helps people under one, understand the principles and do the same thing for themselves. And, and the half-life of social media content just gets, it just gets worse and worse and worse and worse. Um, and that game is like, okay, it's, I mean, Black Mirror has done a few versions of this, right? Where it's like, they're just, you're just chasing these like um, metrics that are like the curve almost goes higher, but then comes down faster. If you were to like plot them as graphs, like search traffic is, is much more, is um, based much more on results over time. You know, how well do you serve a query that's already being made? Like Bilal, I'm preaching to the choir here, but it's like intent-based. The idea that there's 10,000 people searching for this thing every day versus me going on social media, like, pay attention Shout to this to thing. It. Hey, yeah, hey, exactly. hey, 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 yeah, yeah. um, hey. Which is, you know, somebody who's like maybe just getting on Instagram in their coffee break. They're not interested yeah. in buying It's not targeted X, right? in this way. It's not specific. And also, Jack, to add to your metaphor, it's like you shouting in a crowded you know, space like you're, right, you know, Covent Garden, there's lots of people walking through um, and you're like, hey, look at this thing. And you're going to catch a few people's attention. And over time, that crowd's going to grow based on you shouting the same thing every day, like a lunatic. Yeah, 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 but yeah. instead, you, this is like you teleporting yourself to a conference where 10,000 people are already asking every day for this particular thing. And you just happen to turn up when they're asking at the perfect time. That's so very, that, very well said. Yeah. We might clip yes. this for a little, uh, little ad. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and next week we're showing how to turn this this process into ads. Well, the yeah, other yeah. thing is because you shared your, well, your screenshot. Be, yeah. I just shared um, the screen a second ago while you were talking for people who are watching on YouTube. And you shared like a screenshot, right? Of like, I think it's in Shopify or Google Analytics or something, yeah. which shows your revenue since 2020, I think, by channel. And like, you know, I obviously look at a lot of sites in analytics and I see like the percentages and you're completely right. Like the fact that you over index on Twitter specifically and generally social is amazing in a way because it means there's all this opportunity. Uh, it means you're doing a great job, obviously, in one channel. Um, but this other channel, SEO or even honestly paid can like that's another um maybe a debate for another day but that well, those could be another normally, course below we'll yeah, yeah. Well, up. i mean there's literally the, like normally a line item for each and normally like those are the two biggest ones for most people um and so the fact that you've got this amazing base already based on organically sharing it with people is what most people don't normally have right like yours is already a way better product so yeah that's it'll be interesting to see i'd love to hear the updates and so just so I understand is the idea that when people you know sign up for that they're going to basically see the process what your mate is going through like the process of analyzing and then fixing yeah. those things and improving them right yeah so we're going to do like a we're going to make a visualized value curriculum for search Sick. so it will be like here the 
here are the principle. Here's a way to think about it, right? Here's how like, you know, the metaphor you just gave is a great example of like, here's the mental models for understanding search. And then here are the technical barriers that you face implementing those things. And then uh, like, you know, go and I think as nuanced as like, how does your niche or your product set match up with intent based search? How you figure that out? How do you like produce content that basically bridges someone from the query they have on Google to the product that you produce that answers the, the query that they have? Um, yeah, it's cool. Like I've had, I sent an email out about it two hours ago, 90 minutes ago. Yeah, that's, what, had, that's what it was top of mind for me. I, I read yeah, it. I've had so many like responses to it where people like, this is a real need, I think, because of the fatigue people feel with like the social thing. Like it is, Definitely. I don't know. I think this is almost like, um, it's, there's a few people that do a really good job of this. Like the idea of digital real estate that is, um, based off of a, a more consistent stream of traffic or interest. So you can build like, there are obviously social media personalities and brands that exist at such a scale that this is, I don't know if this is not important to them or just wouldn't work for them. Like I'm thinking about like a Jake Paul or somebody like that. Like is there like an SEO team on jakepaul.com? I'm not sure it's even necessary or what <laughs> yeah. you would write, but for like products that have a very specific focus and like education products in particular, like it makes a ton of sense that you want to do everything you can to put your stuff in front of people that are looking to learn the thing you teach. Um, so well, actually, yeah, Jack, just while you're sorry, I realized one uh, visual that we, we were talking about Covent Garden shouting, the more realistic thing now is you're shouting before you had a megaphone and now you're whispering and you're, you're expecting to reach everyone because of the way the social platforms have changed. It's almost like you're try shouting hardest as you can. And there's like a little filter being put in front of you like a wall. <laughs> yeah. And they're like, hey, if you want to reach those people, you've got to shout really, really hard or give me this money and we'll let it go through this go and funnel them. and everyone else will be able to hear what you wanted to tell them. So that's kind of what has happened with social media. It's like, it's, especially for businesses, it's basically pay to play for most people. Like that you only reach 1% of people on Facebook that follow you. 5 to 15% of people on Instagram. Twitter is like the exception where you actually get in front of more people. Uh, and you, you, that obviously varies, but that's just like an average benchmark. So that's another thing. Like SEO side is really interesting because those are often new people, most of the time new people. And it is a, a channel that is just going to keep working for you and compound as you love um, mm. over time as you create new stuff. So I'm really interested to see how that one goes, mate. Yeah, definitely. We'll bring, bring back updates. Um, yeah, it's cool. It's just cool to, um, to also have this stuff is way more interesting when you have a base established too, where it's like, yeah, I think, um, pump, this is one of his things that he's been talking about a long time. It's like, get one channel down, like, yeah, just go mad after one channel, figure it out. And then, I don't even know if it's like when it runs out of gas, it's more just like when you see that the effort is not consummate with the return or like it begin, like that balance starts to shift. It's like, okay, well now 
you know, it's time to, to spend time in other places. There's someone did a TikTok like on, um, you know, unsolicited endorsement of uh, one of the visualized value courses. And it's just been going absolutely mental, man. TikTok is so wild. Um, all right, Jack. Yeah, so uh, keep us in the loop with that one. I'll also share, we can share the compound content link in the show notes. People can check that out if you're interested in learning more about that. Support our boy Jack, as always. Um, so look, last thing we wanted to talk about was, look, us three, obviously me, you and Trung are all, obviously really interested in media you know trung is a lowercase j journalist uh used to write for the hustle now bloomberg i've had the podcast for ages you've worked in media forever and we're all really interested in this new world of new media we're obviously a part of that doing this podcast um but one thing we haven't really touched on that much like we've talked about company high level like netflix versus youtube versus cable a little bit before but i kind of want to touch on it a bit with you now but also there's all these examples that we share with each other that we don't always talk about with nuance on the podcast so maybe we can share a few of those that have like caught our eye um but the first question i kind of had was on cable versus let's just say digital right so first of all i'm assuming do you have cable first of all no you're a boomer mate or <laughs> never had it yeah okay and i'm curious for if for people listening to this and you're watching on youtube i'd love to hear your opinion on this as well. how many of you actually still have cable or if you've been a cord cutter like most millennials and younger um anyway so like so that was already the first big shift right we went to you know no cable i'm I'm at my uh, girlfriend's family's place there you know in the 70s they watch tv all day but even for them you know they're using their phones at the same time they're like they are on twitter like following stuff um but the average age of like a, let's say cnn or something is like literally i think 67 or 72 mm -hmm, or something mm -hmm. like that right so that's already been kind of a declining industry for some time in terms of like straight linear tv then we come to the digital versions and we've had you know netflix with the exception of you know the last six months to a year where they've had issues in the stock market and and subscriber growth they've been like the poster child of digital streaming obviously um and even all the traditional cable company um, you know like traditional tv companies have now got their own version so I'm curious to hone in a little bit on like YouTube versus like the, sub the subscription services like HBO and Netflix. My opinion is YouTube has like played it so perfectly because even when I was there, I thought they were missing a huge chunk of attention by not going down the premium content, mm. um, you know, kind of place. They did have this thing called like, I forgot what it was called, YouTube. Uh, I forgot what it's called, but they basically like funded $50 million worth of right, like, right. original content, like Logan Paul and those guys I think were involved and lots of people like that. Um, but now in hindsight, you're looking at it in 2022 and you're like, okay, they've just taken over, you know, watch time of, I think even, uh, even their revenue, sorry, for, sorry, I might be messing this up completely. There was a metric that we've talked about on the show before that was taken over Netflix. Maybe it was number of, I don't know if it was revenue, actually. Maybe maybe it was revenue, actually. But, but Trung would know if he was here. Um, in terms of subscriber revenue or plus advertising, um, I think that's what it was. So that was kind of on YouTube versus Netflix. But what, what do you think is going to play out here with these kind of streaming people versus YouTube? Because in my opinion, YouTube has kind of played it to a T. They don't have to worry about creating the new, you know, Breaking Bad. They can just have the platform mm -hmm. and they 
sell ads and basically uh, allow smart people to create new content for them. I wonder what the uh, YouTube versus like TikTok mm. hours watched is. I think TikTok I think is like, starting to take over now. Yeah. Yeah, that's pretty f- on video. I've, and I've been seeing stuff around like people treating and YouTube was this was true of YouTube uh, or is true of YouTube, too. It's like people treat it as a search engine like, you know, you're looking for answers to questions like I, people use TikTok to figure out like how to make a bed or do, you know, like people making tutorials and stuff on there. So it's, it's interestingly, it comes to that intent based thing as well. Like people use it for entertainment. And it's like, obviously they've got killer algorithms that just, you know, in YouTube's case, drive you down the deepest conspiracy theory, uh, rabbit hole, they can drive you down. And TikTok's just like, you know, hypnotizing you for hours on end. But I think the like... By the way, while you're pulling, I'm just pulling up a chart because I actually pulled it up here. Can you see that? All right. This is apparently TikTok did take over uh, in terms of watch time. By a massive... Yeah, I don't... Yeah. Oh, sorry. Do you know what that might have been? So this is average monthly hours per user. So you can... This one's a bit closer. But you can see this is TikTok. Um, that one says in the UK, TikTok's lead is even greater. So that's a UK, damn. That's uh, wow, wow, got wow. it, got it. So that's UK is huge, but this is probably US or global. Yeah, US, US, US. But yeah, and this wow. was tw- end of 2021, I think. Yeah, I can see why YouTube would be more popular in the US as well. Um, yeah, the, uh, the the like media, like the translation of like the late night talk show, I think is like a good, um, parallel in cable. I think like you're starting to see people, obviously Rogan, but now like Andrew Schultz and like, I think this is also like our algorithms at play. I'm sure those characters exist in every single, like every single niche of like humor or politics or whatever the thing is like they get to run on such faster feedback loops and they can like, I think Rogan's guest strategy or the podcast growth strategy is like so significant versus, I guess that's how all the big talk shows grew too, right? It's like, who's the celebrity of the moment? We're going to fly him to LA and then on Saturday night, we're going to interview him. But these people could do two in a day, like if they're in New York or LA or Austin now, wherever, it's like they just something happened. They have that person on their show the same day. They're going to, they're going to talk about it with way less um, moderation, right? It's not a scripted thing in most cases. And that to me is like the content trend in general is just moving way more towards the candid, like non-scripted, like yeah. you're going to ask a question that nobody's ever going to ask on NBC. It's not TV gonna, or radio. Right. Yeah. That's why I love podcasts too. It's just because you, you actually, well, there's obviously those sort of podcasts, but the reason Rogan, in my opinion, won, in podcasting is because he was having conversations you couldn't get elsewhere yes and and that was what was unique and they and whereas like people coming from a traditional media background were like no it needs to be 20 minutes or 45 minutes and it needs to have this and we need to create the little jingle whatever and he was like no (laughs) i'm just gonna hang out with my boys and we're gonna speak for four hours and if people like it they like it if not we'll figure it out and like for years that he just did the live stream as well before they they took that away um and i think that was the kind of coolest example obviously i mean it's not like he's some unknown guy he's like the number one in the category um but just to see him completely break all the rules and you know have literally 
people from right wing, left wing. He had Bernie Sanders and he had like, you know, Alex Jones, if you, <laughs> I don't right, you, wanna, right. you know, whatever. Um, and, and like having scientists and nutrition people, but also like his fighting people. It's just kind of a, it broke all the rules. And that's why I think the internet, I mean, it's obviously an exception in many ways as well, though. There aren't that many people who've hit his scale. Uh, well, no one's hit his scale, but the approach he's taken has worked for his unique way of doing it. I will say, if you're starting a podcast in 2022, I don't think I would recommend the same thing to people. Do you know what yeah, I mean? But wow. you, you could also argue the reason uh, it's worked is because he was good at doing it the way he liked to do it. And, yeah, like, and he has he, an amazing it, network, right? Exactly. He's got people that would do got that with people him. In. His and story the, is insane without any of that stuff. That's true. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But anyway, sorry, back to what you were saying there as well. Uh, I can't remember that. Uh, yeah. I just think there's like the scarcity of the perspective is like what people come for. If you think about the, like the candidness of the conversation, like why do people watch TV? Why do people consume media in general? It's like to be entertained by something or to learn something. And I think like you even see this in politics, like the realness of the thing now is almost an indication of how well it will do. Like the, it's definitely correlated with like, the you know like a dave portnoy like middle of covid yeah. like when he was doing the fucking day trading stuff <laughs> yeah david day like, trading, yeah just mental <laughs> stuff that you're like no tv station with like a legal department in their right mind is yeah, putting that on, on the not. air right and they just they just have such a like it's almost like the um you know there's a um <clears throat> like a regulatory advantage in crypto, like you can get 500X in crypto because there's no regulatory advantage. You can get a 500X media advantage by launching on YouTube versus like pitching a pilot to NBC and then like going through it. Like they do have distribution and it can be an amazing thing for people's careers. Almost like the, you know, like direct to consumer brands where they end up in target eventually. Yeah, yeah, right, like so. comes. Well, I think Schultz, the way you describe it, so Schultz is a perfect example of that because he kind of got, for people that don't know, we've talked about him on the show before. He's a comedian, kind of came from TV background, like did this thing called Guy Code and stuff on MTV, then started a podcast with Charlemagne the God, the guy from Breakfast Club. Um, but in that time was pitching to all these, you know, big studios and they were all like, no, you, the, yeah, yeah, too yeah. flagrant or whatever right. you want to call it. <laughs> right. And then eventually th th he just doubled down on that. And that is what has blown him up. He's now one of the most successful comedians around right now. So, um, and that was like, you're carving out your own niche, right? And like his style and their podcast is like the number one p comedy Patreon in the world, right? And the reason they have it is because it's like, what to some people is like very offensive humor like like if you don't like like anything goes sort of comedy like don't <laughs> don't listen to it but that's the sort of stuff that was getting banned everywhere else and in that time in the last five six years that they built a massive audience based on that principle yeah, yeah it's uh it's hard to imagine them going the other direction now too it's like who is left that you can get to on those other platforms like if you think of that as like a gateway to attention it's like it's not like there's a bunch of people that are dying to watch x 
Like, or, you know, dying yeah. to watch flagrant that are like subscribed to, you might be able to Paramount pick people up. Plus. Yeah. <laughs> right, right. No, but that's the thing now is like a lot of them, especially for comedians, they would um, want to get like the HBO special because there was prestige and distribution. And it used to be Netflix. Oh, you're going to go on Netflix and you're going to be exposed to a hundred million people. That was worth doing. But over the years now, most of the time, it's nowhere near those numbers. And you're going to, especially specifically for comedy, because I've heard them talk about it, all of them are now putting it on YouTube first because they know their money is going to be made through touring on the road. The yeah, same yeah. way musicians originally complained about you know, Spotify streaming, but now you, you know, the biggest music artists make crazy money on the road. That's how they make the money now versus you know, selling CDs or whatever. So um, I think there's another, and, and to kind of bring it full circle, what I was saying is he eventually then sold a special to Netflix based on the format they created on social first. And that was kind of like a, an interesting example. So, yeah, that's true. That's true. It's like it's like media product market fit, right? It's like the risk that they would have to take on doing pilots and stuff versus like, hey, we've already got five million people watching every episode. Yeah. Like, cut me a check. That's like it's almost a di- like the power dynamic is so that's exactly it's been it. reversed so significantly. It's on it's your great. own terms by that point, right? It's not. Like, oh, I'm going to try to pitch you an idea that the market l- might like. By the time it's out, a pilot's out, it's a, a year later. Um, but this is just like content market feel like, okay, there's a million people watching your stuff already. Okay, great. The, now we're going to have to pay you pay you the money. Like That's also what happened to Rogan, right? Like in a, in a different way, he went to Spotify um, because the numbers kind of spoke for themselves by that point. And, th- and this is how you get like, you know, people don't, I don't think this is that common knowledge, but it's like, people that write, write a book. Like if I want to write a book, you could just say, Hey, I've got 200,000 Twitter followers. Oh, you- Most publishers would be like, yeah, all right. Oh, what do you want to write a book about? Here's in advance. Yeah. But if you're like, if you actually have a good idea, you want to like, you know, it's your distribution is like 90% of the deal. Obviously you've built distribution by yeah. talking about something. Yeah, of course. But it's like, it's a really different dynamic than I think a lot of people assume it is where it's like, you just have to come up with the most amazing concept. And like, I think Trung's not here. So I'm going to talk about him on this front too, but it's like, he's a perfect example of somebody who's like building a persona independent of a lot of like traditional platforms. And we know shape of public opinion on Bloomberg right now. <laughs> yeah, Like his, his ability to like do deals with media entities based on the fact that he can you know pump out a link and ten thousand people are going to see it in in a minute is just mess it's just massive like look at the engagement on his tweets versus probably associated press like yeah, i would imagine there's I'm like sure. no competition um it's pretty it's pretty crazy how that power dynamic has flipped and i think i don't know there's probably conversations happening in uh a lot of boardrooms right now, like people just like, what are we going to do here? And yeah, there's like, they still have the prestige though. Like, I think this, they still have the, they still have obviously like insane amounts of capital and prestige. I think that's like Rogan, the brand, Spotify, like, 100 yeah. mil, like Spotify is even like an incumbent now at this point in yeah. some ways doing a deal like that. Uh, it's pretty wild. And then um, you can imagine YouTube goes that route where they're just like Andrew Schultz don't go anywhere else. And we'll like, you know, this is a YouTube sponsored thing. I think the one risk maybe is 
the stuff that people say associated yeah. with your brand name, which we've talked a lot about as well. And that, but that's a great point because it comes back to the evolution of the channel. And the, if you think about, like we've talked about in the show with crypto a lot, where's the money coming from, right? And the, if you just think of the economics of media, most of it comes from advertising. And then, you know, 50 years ago, a lot of it came from, well, I think it's always been advertising, but also people paid money for the subscription. Now the subscription they pay is $10 or $20 for a streaming service. Um, so the, the economics of it aren't as much, but like on YouTube, obviously majority of their revenue comes from advertising. And that is a good point because I think that's a smart thing they've done. They've kind of, because they're not the editor, right? They're not like Netflix saying, hey, we've made Breaking Bad flagrant version right like the the crazy version of that would not you wouldn't be able to sell ads in the same way because you know obviously advertisers care about like alignment of brand and brand safety all that stuff um but that's why i think the subscription model is amazing for creators like that like what they've done with the patreon is is crazy right like they're, they're making hundreds of thousands a month just from people getting an extra episode every week and that way you're you're basically creating it for those people going as crazy as you want because that's what they're asking for the other thing i think that's smart with that in a way they've almost like pre-canceled themselves slash made them uncancelable in a way because that is their whole brand obviously yeah. comedy helps as well it's it's harder to do that if you're just like a political commentator but because their whole style is we're gonna say anything goes and everyone's gonna get the jokes they can kind of get away with a lot more and the advertisers they bring on they turn that into content as well it becomes these funny ads that you're like oh right. they're they're selling basically dick pills or something or you know yeah. like uh, something like that and and you're like okay but this is quite funny the way they've pitched it and it <laughs> yeah. becomes like this ongoing joke within you know hundreds of thousands of people um but anyway uh, is there anything else on on that any other examples that the other question i was gonna actually the one person you'd mentioned before this i want to bring up in a on the negative side of this because obviously it's great you know anyone can go and create something i will say though if you look at your youtube feed they're all tiktok like the stuff that's standing out with the exception of like you know rogan's and the rogan has a lot of like positive stuff as well there is this kind of like divisive thing where the loudest like the one that's going to cause controversy is going to rise to the top as well and i kind of have a mixed feeling on it because it's also the way it's always been but it's just more accentuated now, you know, amplified, sorry. Yeah, yeah, and the incentive to be outrageous is Exactly, is, and is so like we high. were talking about that guy, Andrew Tate, because we were talking about over text, this guy, I don't know if you- Top G. Top G, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so this guy says some wild stuff and his whole, I mean, I kind of find him a little annoying, but he's also, we listen to him enough, you're like, okay, it's kind of funny, like I can see why people would like it. And then, you know, like most people, when you listen to them enough, you're like, okay, I can understand why, you know, millions of people are liking, liking this guy's stuff. Um, so I'm curious, like that was how I've seen like the negative side of like he's, someone like him is saying outrageous stuff to stand out. And he might believe like some of this, but I think a lot of the stuff he's saying purposely controversial stuff and he knows it's going to get talked about. So uh, how do you feel about that? Like the algorithm is kind of, rewarding that sort of stuff too because you know for us like let's say we put our stuff on youtube we don't optimize anything for youtube right like we're basically right. recording a podcast and put it on youtube 
we know if we really want to take YouTube seriously, we have to create specific content. We have to do the thumbnail where the face looks stupid and everyone's pointing at this one thing. And it's it's kind of like, you know, you kind of have to play the, to the rules of the game if you want to, you know, succeed on those platforms. Um, and so like, yeah, I'm curious like what you think about that as well because I, I kind of struggle with it. Yeah, so it's, uh, I think you're right. It always has been the way. Like the, I think people are just realizing it now where um, especially platforms like TikTok where there's just this obscene arbitrage, attention arbitrage. Like I just mentioned, I got an unsolicited testimonial on TikTok. I've never seen anything like it in my life. Yeah. Like the amount of traffic is still coming from that thing. Um, I think it must be to do with like, the amount of people that create on there versus the amount of people that consume on there. I like, think it's I that, know. but it's also the way that there's the default view is your, it's the for you page. So it's you're surfacing new stuff versus like Instagram forever has been like who you follow, mm. you know? And it's, whereas like Twitter is a good example. Like I'm going to see your tweet or Trunks tweet because someone I know liked your thing and it's showing up. So I think it's a combination of like what you said, the number of people creating, but also the way they've designed it. And there's still enough of the algorithm juice where they're allowing like essentially the organic reach can be way higher. That probably won't be the yeah. case forever. But I, I do agree. Yeah, I think it. it's also the peop, the number of people creating on there. It's also like a meat as a medium. It's interesting because it's like it's so fully, uh, you're fully absorbed Immersed. in it, right? Like and even I'll, if there's a tweet, yeah. you there's other sandwich between other stuff. Like you're and not the music. The music kind of yeah, keeps yeah. It entertaining and like addictive. Like it's such a. I mean, I I use TikTok a lot now, and it's like the stuff I see on there now is n like I'm literally just seeing like a bunch of tennis stuff now. Like like I'm like okay, this is nothing to do with the original. You know, people doing a dance like original thing anymore. Mm -hmm. It's like there's still the element of like the captions and the music making it fun, but it's just like addictive you know, dopamine hitting content. That's yeah. Yeah. I met a bunch of people last week in New York. They were like, why aren't you doing TikTok? Like you're in Yeah. Idiot. So what's the answer to that? Why, why aren't you? It's just not a native medium for me to produce. And, yeah. You know. All right, Jack, I think we're going to have to call it now, mate. This has been a really good fun chat. Two of us. Hopefully Trung will be back. Uh, he's going to try to do one next week from Europe. So hopefully he's able to join us. If not, we'll um, do it ourselves or bring someone on. But yeah, hopefully Trung is here next week with us as well. Let us know what you think of this one. Uh, do us a favor. You, you guys are amazing at like commenting on Telegram. We get like 40, 50 people like writing stuff when we do our episode launch. Just like you can write it there, but also just write on YouTube as well because it helps uh, us get in front of more people and we'll always respond to you there as well. Um, so yeah, like and subscribe and uh, we will see you next week. Thanks for being here. Peace.